we got Simon back and we're going to talk about his ultra marathon, which I still can't fucking believe that he did. Welcome, brother. Hey, man. How's it? Thanks. I still can't believe I did it myself. It's one of those um, things that I would say I would never do. I would never be a runner. I've always denied it um, and I still deny it. But uh, <laughs> somehow it's, it seems that which you resist persists and I've kind of fallen into it. Um, by accident or by purpose or whatever it is, but it's it's definitely changed my outlook on life and my outlook on possibilities. You know, I don't have any more uh, basic ideas of of what I can and can't do because those goalposts have moved, and now I don't know what I can't do, and I'm reveling in it. I love it. Is that not the idea, the plan for all of us to wonder? Uh, or not to know what our limitations are you know if because if you know what your limitations are you you're almost going to say i'm not going to do that because i can't but if you don't know what your limitations are you're always pushing the boundaries and in not knowing what your limitations are you're always going to push beyond what is comfortable for you well i think for me it's more more like along the lines of i thought i couldn't do it so i didn't meanwhile I can do it and I have and and because I, I, I can and I have I'm pursuing it more and more and, and seeing where it's taking me I think the idea that the limitations are self-inflicted more than anything else you know obviously we have physical limitations uh, if, if, if you can't if you know you've got motor functions issues but if everybody can walk and if you can walk you can jog and if you can jog you can run so when you say I'm not a runner not yet but you could be and I think that's kind of where I am now I could be a runner possibly <laughs> yeah i think you flogging that horse where you're saying you're not a runner now for far too long you definitely are a runner yeah 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 um i don't know some i don't know of, of anybody um at this point in time who put so much dedicated effort and energy into building themselves so they can be successful at that sport so i don't think it's a swear word i think it's um i think it's fantastic that you have uh found this and that you're able to do it so um, I'm very excited to talk about it. Last time we started from one position or from one point. This time I want to get right into the the meat of it. When you decided to take better care of yourself and step away from the from drinking alcohol and eating badly and all the other stuff, the stepping away from alcohol is just one aspect of it. You said that you had started a project. Uh, I, but I still feel that you didn't do the project justice. You didn't talk enough about it. So adventure before dementia. Tell me how you came about with the project, or just just the name. Well, my 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 father got lost into Alzheimer's and dementia about six seven years ago, and the connections that he and I were building in, in, the, in the later, in the, in the twilight of his life, and I guess the middle of my life, we, we were building a good connection. We had a very rocky uh, relationship as we were younger, and I've kind of built on that, and we were starting to come right, and we were starting to understand each other a little bit better. And then with that, then losing him to dementia, it, it, it kind of you know, cut that process in half. So I could still develop, but he was no longer part of the process. So it was difficult for me to come to terms with the facts of a lot of the things that he and I never got to discuss. 
the, the parts of, my, of life that I felt that he let me down, the discussion points that I wanted to have with him, I never got to clarify those. I never got to clear those. Some of them I did, some of them I didn't. Um, I do understand him better after becoming a father myself. I, I realized, and, and this was in the last podcast as well, we don't know what we're doing. They didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. We're, we're trying our best. Um, but you have to be willing to try. Yeah. And sometimes I felt that there was no effort. From your dad? From my dad, yeah. I, I felt that he was, he, you know, for him he was, he was going to work, he was making money, and that was enough. Mm. There was no, um, not much camaraderie, there was not much affection, there wasn't much attention to me in any way or form. Mm. Um, and, and then I got to seek that in books, I got to seek that watching movies and, and, and getting lost into art. And, and that wasn't a bad thing. Uh, I guess it developed who I am, it developed this character that I have now but I never had the opportunity to spend quality time with my father. And I struggled with that. And I still struggle with some of those aspects of it. Mm. That's, uh, I think for myself also, um, I had a different relationship with my dad. But uh, for me, there was things that I wanted more of. I wanted more interaction with my dad on certain things. And I didn't get it um, all the time. I also felt a little bit neglected. So I understand where you come from. Was there at any point uh, a time in your life where you realized that, or that you thought that you had it wrong in your perception or your understanding of how things really were? Well, I think when my son was born, I kind of realized that that, that thought process was mine and it was my mistake I, mm. I needed to realize that again you, parents don't know what they're doing we really don't we mm. have guidance we have books we have dr spock or whatever the new books are um, but the problem is that we don't have you don't have a whisper in your ear you don't have that you only have oh, i mustn't fuck this up i mustn't yeah. mess this up i mustn't this and quite often because you're holding back by trying not to fuck it up you don't do anything which is actually worse mm. um at the moment my son is is busy very much on his on his computer he's very much involved in his in his schoolwork he's doing great at school is fantastic but i feel the connection slipping away mm. and, I, and i try and chat to him i, I drive him to school uh, every morning it's an hour or 40 minutes each way um, try to speak to him, but he puts his earphones in and, and listens to his own music because he doesn't want to listen to the radio, he doesn't want to listen to whatever's happening in my world. Yeah. So it's kind of almost like he's living in this isolation world and I can see it, but I don't know how to pull that back. And, and I think my father kind of had the same thing, but I, but I reiterate that I felt that my father thought bringing the money home, that was enough. And, yeah. and again, I could be completely wrong, um, but that's what it kind of felt like. I, I'm, I'm putting food in the fridge, leave me alone. Mm. It, it sort of felt like that. Um, one of the most quintessential parts of m my development of understanding the relationship with him was I was playing a, a baseball game, uh, I think under 13, maybe under 14. Um, it was a, a, a league game, but it was, I think we were gonna possibly win the league or at least go to the playoffs. I can't remember what it was. I just remember it was important. And uh, I was on, on the field and I'd hit a, a run base uh, and I was stoked. I was happy. I'd caught somebody out in the field. I was, 
I was stoked. I was like in a good place. And my dad walked over the hill with the dog. And I was like, hey, dad, you're coming to watch us play? Nah, I'm walking the dog. Oh, and he turned and walked away. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> okay, and that kind of, for me, was like almost the, okay, then it doesn't matter what the fuck I do. So, you know, I did it for myself. I stopped trying to please them. I st- my, my mother is different, completely different. My father and I just didn't work for yeah. some reason. And I feel that we... He was very young when I was born. By the time he was 40, I was 18, 19. So it's kind of like, you know, young man, old man, young bull, old bull bullshit. And I kind of felt that I did challenge him. And sometimes I came off second best and sometimes I didn't. But I feel that I should never have challenged him. He was my father. Mm. But I think that he never really... um, spent enough focus time with me which is what the problem is with the dementia it made it worse um so when he passed uh i started to look for adventures i started to look for something to do something to spend time in the in in the wild in the creators in the creator's glory and started with hiking and then i got into running and the idea is that i am probably genetically disposed predisposed or whatever yeah. you would call it to have dementia uh, it, it, it could be genetic it could be environmental we're not nobody knows yet they're working on it but they don't know yet but besides they don't want to cure it they just want to treat it because yeah. it's better for them so I wanted to create a project uh, adventure for dementia which was trying to get people families groups fathers and sons friends together to do adventures together because mm-hmm. in that adventure situation, you build character, you build experiences together, you build uh, a logbook of life processes that when you pass, you can go, man, check this guy's logbook. This guy's done some cool shit. Mm. And that's kind of what I wanted to do. And I wanted to tri- attribute the, the benefits of this experience to possibly helping with treatment towards uh, Alzheimer's uh, for other people, or at least awareness of it. Mm. So that's kind of the process is I wanted to try and bring attention to it. But I also, I kind of like didn't really want to put it out there because I didn't want to not make the two oceans finish. And then like have to reel back in like, oh, I was doing this big project. But now that I've done it, I want to try and, okay, cool. Now I know what my limits are or not quite yet but Mm. i know where i can be i know how hard i can push so now i'm pushing it hard i want to make this uh, my project i want to be bringing this awareness to this project because i may lose myself in it at some later date yeah that's brilliant i think (coughs) i take it for myself i'm um i'm writing a book at the moment uh at the at the insistence of my wife uh and my daughter and i'm pretty sure that you've said about a thousand times put it on fucking paper and (laughs) turn it into a book Uh, and when you're talking about this uh, log book there are so many of us you you'd go to a party somewhere and you'd listen to somebody speak if i i said to somebody at work the other day they were like oh you're losing quite a bit of weight i said yeah i stopped drinking and eating a lot better and making changes. I have goals and plans in place for what I want to do and they are all physical and I want to get up to scratch and they're like, oh my God, you climbed all the way, like as in the highest peak in Africa, you've done that already? 
yeah, it's not uh, a super achievement for me. Uh, for me, a great achievement is not killing my kids <laughs> or um, still being able to pick up my grandkids. But there are so many other people that you would meet at a party or something and they would say something that is completely spectacular and you almost catch yourself thinking why the fuck does nobody know that you've done all this yeah. or that you that you've got this great achievement you you by the age of 12 you could put an engine together i think that's fucking phenomenal and but i also understand the the life lessons that you would have learned from being able to put an engine together at that time period there's analytical thinking there's tenacity there is sticking to the problem until i get it fixed and all of those kinds of things which could explain why you are the person that you are as a behaviorist i i love those things because it tells me so much more of the person uh in in true gladwell form i'd rather observe than you tell me stuff about you because i won't get the true sense of who you are you'll only tell me what i want to see yeah so I, I i like this idea of a logbook and people getting out there and doing stuff and building fires and making hooches and walking through mountain pastures and sleeping next to the river and all of those things i think it's fantastic it's 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 invigorating it's it's stuff that we don't usually do you know kids are so fragile today they don't do anything because they don't want to be uncomfortable they don't want to be wet they don't want to be tired so i think that's a that's a great idea you started this project uh, adventure before dementia was running the two oceans always the idea no the first first achievement i did was the 13 peaks uh ryan sanders 13 peaks adventure which is a a, a circuit across 13 peaks around table mountain mm -hmm. starting at signal hill up lion's head mcclair's beacon across to the other side down into hot bay around the other side chapman's peak nodok peak back up through Constantia, back across onto onto the Newland side, back over again to Devil's Peak, and then back to, mm. uh, I've missed a few peaks up, but there's 13 of them, obviously. It's 105 Ks. Um, I did it in pieces. It took me six months uh, and just over 40 hours, but my distance covered was 140 kilometers Okay. because I included walking on and walking off the mountain. So if I'd have taken those out and did the stopwatch at point to point, I probably could have come just under 30 hours, maybe slightly less. Um, but the guys that run it, the fastest I think is just over 12 hours. Jeez. I know, right? It's insane. It's it's ridiculous. But that that's where it started. Mm. Um, and it started with me wrecking the route for a friend, Warren, who wanted to run it in two days, a 48-hour trip, and he was doing it for charity. Um, he did the adventure, he's, his knee, his hip, sorry, bombed out. He didn't finish, but he still collected the money, he still did the charity event, and it came off pretty well. Brilliant. But um, that idea of being his support and watching him go through that process, I felt that I needed to put that into my life so that I could test myself. Mm. And I think part of the process of this is we are so comfortable 24 7. we never ever put ourselves out of our comfort zone if your couch isn't comfortable enough you'll buy a softer couch yep. if you we, we never do anything outside our comfort zone and for me i've learned so much in a place of discomfort when my feet are sore 
when I can't hardly walk. I mean, the first time we climbed down Nursery Ravine, this is after 25 kilometers, and this is the first big hike that I did. My legs were jelly. I could, and I, and I don't mean they were they were tired or sore. I seriously, my legs. I nearly fell down probably a thousand times. Yeah. So badly that the last section, walking through Kirsenbosch Gardens, which is a gentle slope, I had to walk backwards because my legs were so trashed Sheesh. that I couldn't actually walk forwards. Got out the gate at Kirstenbosch, collapsed into a taxi and went home. <laughs> um, and, and I didn't walk for weeks after that. Mm. And, and you know my office is upstairs, which is not great. Not great. The that's stairs the fucking are worst stairs ever. <laughs> but that's, that's how I check my clients are not drunk. When they <laughs> get up those stairs there, I know they're sober enough. Oh, fuck. We, we, we've come down those stairs drunk a couple of times. Uh, thankfully not before. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then you decide... After you've done the 13 peaks, okay, I want to do an ultra marathon. Uh, at, w- at which stage, after how long after you realized, and this is interesting to me because you're a trail runner, or you, well, you were a hiker hmm. <laughs> who became a trail runner, and at some point in, in that whole process, you realize, well, I want to do an ultra marathon, which is on the road. Yeah. So how did the transition come to you? Because I know a lot of people are not comfortable. If they start doing the one thing, it's very difficult for them to switch over to do the other. Yeah. I think for myself, what happened was with the hiking, um, and and it's it's purely uh, beneficial to myself, but basically discovery stopped giving me bonus points for for the hikes because my heart rate wasn't getting high enough because mm. i was fit enough to hike and climb the climb skeleton gorge and, and all of those things without actually putting my heart into crisis mm. so for me to get my heart rate up again i started running i yeah. did a 5k oh that was easy let me try an eight that was easy enough let me try a 10 but what i'd done was i'd built a very good base strength yes. with the climbing and the mountain mountain hiking and on top of that so i didn't start running and go oh bum my ankle bum my knee and 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 like everybody does yeah so as an adult the first time i ran was eight k's in the start of end of my hiking start of my road running or sorry trail running yeah um and then we had a bit of a rough winter last year didn't really get into the mountain too often and then i ran the abs of 10k which was my first ever road race um and kind of combining the two trail running and road running the road running because i can step out of my door and i can run 50ks if i want to but generally i'm running around the neighborhood 10 15 20ks it's easy mm. don't need special gear you don't need safety you don't need people to know where you are you're just running down the road that's easy on the trails i need to you know let people know where i am what i'm doing um and it's important to be safe and in the right place i mean every single day there's reports coming through the hiking groups and the trail running groups of people lost on the mountains. Yeah. Um, there's a woman at the moment that's been lost. They're trying to find her. She's been gone for 48 hours. Jeez. And they know where she went on, but that's all they know. And so now all the trail runners and the hikers are scouring the mountains trying to find this woman. Um, so that idea is that you keep yourself safe by being aware. Be prepared. You know the, the, the your favorite saying in, in, in all things prepared. Mm. So I built on the hiking with the trail running the trail running i use the road running to benefit me fitness wise because i can do it quicker i can you know load shedding would you believe two Mm. hours i can run 20 k's Mm. 
So load shedding, I can't work. Okay, I'm going for a run. So that's kind of what sort of got me into it. And then um, after my father passed, uh, we were going through his photographs and stuff, and, 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 I, and I found some photographs of him uh, finishing the Two Oceans Marathon, Ultra Marathon. And uh, I was like, wow, I didn't know he ran. And, mm. and this was 92, 93. Uh, 92, I was spent most of 92 and 93 in Portugal. And I didn't really realize that he was running. So when I, when I asked my mom about it, she said, no, he's, he ran a lot. And she gave me a little bag and this whole bunch of medals in there. And it was kind of like this weird connection because I just kind of started running and I kind of wanted to see where this took me. Um, so, yeah, and then again, I did the two oceans in his honor. His badge that he got in 92 was stitched on my shorts, so he traveled with me, which was great. Um, but the idea is that I want to cross-train to make myself better at trail running. And the yeah. road running was purely just to benefit that. But the ultramarathon was purely just for my father. Okay. The last time we spoke, we were talking about your prep for that. Um, I remember from martial arts days... To compete in an invitational, you needed to complete a certain amount of hours um, at Qatar, and then obviously, obviously, you needed to have a certain amount of competition wins, also or points, so that you could compete at an uh, at an invitational. Did you also have to cover certain distances before they would say, "Okay, well, you qualify for this"? I'm purely asking for the yeah. people who want to run. Yeah. Also, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's not many people that want to run. It's a cock idea. <laughs> Basically, to run to to be admitted into entry to the two oceans you have to run a sub five marathon sub okay. five hour marathon um i did the red hill marathon which was also my first marathon mm. which everybody bitches about the hills but because i'd been hiking because i'd been training in the trails the red hill didn't bother me mm. um as i got to the foot there's a there's a little food station at the bottom there's a little um bus stop i walked from the food station to the bus stop ate something, drank something, and I said, cool, I'm running up the rest of this hill. And I passed hundreds of people walking. And they were like, no, no, don't run here. You're going to burn yourself out. I'm like, no, I'm, I trained to run this part. Mm. And they're like, oh, we'll see you on the other side. You'll be burnt out. And then I never saw them. So it didn't work. You know, for me, the, the idea is that I need to put myself in that place. I need yeah. to make myself work. That I need to not be what everybody else is doing if somebody says no you should walk here why because you walk here i'm not walking here i'm running this i trained to run this it's very slow um it's a little shuffle move but it's quicker than walking yeah and and, and keeping your feet at a quicker pace when you step over the top through the flat and into the downhill your legs are ready mm. whereas if you're walking that transition across the flat and then into the downhill super awkward it's so difficult to change yeah. your body movement and reset again especially when you've already run 36 k's by the yeah. time you get to the top of the hill i think it's also a case of oxygen intake mm. it's a longer stride you're taking deeper breaths you're not preparing your body for that anaerobic process that needs to take place because you've got to pick that pace up again on the on the other end i remember going through desert warfare preparation the guys would run through the sand and the older guys would tell you, lower your center of gravity, let your pack drag you down and with your knees bent all the time, slide your feet through the sand. You'll cover the distance a lot quicker and you'll be able to stay in that position for a lot longer. Whereas the other guys were 
lifting their legs higher, trying to put taking deeper breaths. You were sort of like just hunkering down, sucking in your core and, and breathing a lot more shallow so that you could maintain that amount of energy and you were giving your muscles those bursts of, of oxygen all the time. So I get what you're saying about the shuffling of the feet and that kind of stuff. It's it's quite interesting how the other guys didn't know that. Yeah. You know, you'd expect them to, to have figured that out. But you're look you were looking at it from a lot more uh, of a scientific uh, positioning. I mean, we were talking about you um, not eating at a particular time, and I know lots of runners. A lot of I have a lot of friends who are runners who are part of clubs. You've met uh, Angelo and Muriel and Wayne and all of those guys, and the only thing that comes out of their mouth is running. So I've met a lot of their friends, and there are times where they would talk about stuff where they don't speak about the same stuff that you and I speak about. I understand pacing myself and um, what to carry, how to carry it, and at what time I need to sort of like drag ass a little bit and then I need to pick it up a little bit. Whereas they never understood, they didn't understand that. Uh, some of them don't understand terminology like um, like anaerobic burst of energy or they wouldn't talk about stuff like um, eating at the right time, for example, which when you spoke about it, I was excited to hear about it because I know when you, for example, when you're in a gunfight, the first time the gu when there's a, a lull in the fight, if it's over 20 minutes long, you'll get the guy running the gunfight saying to you, drink, eat, drink, eat, drink, eat, because you've just used all your glucose. Yeah. You've burnt everything. Yeah, you've burnt off all your ready energy. You need to get you need to get back into the fight. You need to eat. You need to get yourself ready, particularly if you're going to be there for a long period of time, which running an ultramarathon is you're yeah. going to be in that position for a long time unless you decide to quit yeah tell me the story about not being able to or not eating at the right time okay so i ran the tigerberg 30k um from paris sports club up over the top and it's a full circuit of tigerberg um it it's really easy actually but the problem is that the first kilometers up and over the highway and then from the top of the highway all the way down basically almost to the refinery mm. it's downhill it's about 12 k's okay. 11 12 k's it's super easy super quick cruising um i, I what I, my plan is to eat every 45 minutes every seven or eight kilometers so on so the, can you actually feel at, at the end of that 45 minutes can you feel that you are no you don't, you don't, no, you're, so you're not I, feeling I, I a dragging feel or anything. Once you start to feel, it's, it's too, too late. late. Oh, right, okay. So if, if you don't catch that window, you can't catch it up. Uh, you can't eat twice as much because your body can only process it so fast. So what happened on the, on the Tigerberg was I ran the first 12, 13 kilometers without eating because it was all downhill. I was flying, having a great time. Turn the corner. Oh, shit. Now it's back up around Contamans Cliff around the back past the quarry, et cetera, around that side, which is a 16 kilometer climb. Mm. And uh, at 16 kilometers, I ate for the first time. And it was too late. My body, I was already depleted. I was already into my reserves. I was puffing and puffing. So I ate at 16 kilometers. I tried to eat again at 22 or thereabouts. I couldn't get it down. I couldn't get it in. I struggled. The food wasn't going in. I'd run out of water because I was over drinking, because I wasn't eating. Um, and then I started to grab the waters from the water tables, and it's ice cold. Mm. 
ice cold and I can't drink it. Um, so I have to warm it up first before I can drink it. And then it's lukewarm and you, it's horrible <laughs> to drink <Yeah>. lukewarm. <laughs> but it's, it's more than anything, it's just wet in your mouth to keep your mouth wet and you're fine. You can keep going. And uh, so I struggled through that, although I still made my time. I don't know, you know, even though I, I think the terminology is I hit the wall, mm. but I still made what I was aiming for. I wanted 245, I got 244. Mm. So that's fine. But because I fucked up my nutrition, I knew for the two oceans, I had to get it right. Yeah. Um, and in the two oceans, I ate every eight, seven, eight kilometers, I, I drank uh, two and a half liters of electrolytes. I, I drank another half a liter of water and I ate eight bars of nutrition, uh, little calorie, mm. they call far bars but or fast bars. Over the, over the time period of yeah, the race? Of the race. So every 45 minutes or eight kilometers, I ate. Next eight and then at 16 and then at 24, then, you know, so obviously the math is easy enough. But when you're running, that side of your brain, you start to think, okay, so I didn't eat at eight. So if I eat one kilometer less next time, or do I push it to one kilometer to X? And you start to use that brain, but you're in a fugue, you're yeah. in a fog, you cannot concentrate. So you have to go into the race with a plan and stick to it. Mm. If it's a cuck plan, you'll only work it out at the end or for the next race. But it wasn't, it worked perfectly well. I did everything to the T. And I finished well within my time. That's what I wanted to do the two oceans in was, was firstly mm. to finish. Secondly was six hours. Anything less than six hours is a win. And I'll take those five minutes under six hours <laughs> with, with, with pride. <laughs> What's the plan beyond uh, the ultra marathon? Do another one? Do one somewhere else what's what's the plan for you i have uh in in 10 short days i'm running the crom river beast mm -hmm. which is a, a, a trail marathon in in the uh cedarberg mountains from crom river campsite up and around the around the, the bay around the um amphitheater that's that's around the, the circum what do you call it the edge of the of the riverbed yep um quite a lot of elevation quite a lot of climbing uh, weather is looking atrocious, mm. but not made a sherbet. You've heard yeah, me say yeah, that yeah, before. Yeah. Um, dumbass. But um, th so this is the next one um, coming up very soon. And then I've got a couple of other trail marathons coming up. At the moment, I'm not considering road much other than training, other okay. than keeping the legs turning over. And obviously on road, I can run a lot faster. Mm. Um, and on trail, I run slower, but more deliberately. Yes. But if I can keep up the pace at the anaerobic level higher in the road, it translates very well into, into trail running. Mm. And my trail running has gone so much faster, yes. so much more, um, I'm more resilient in the, in the trails because I've run so far. Um, you know, I, I'm like, I'm bored on Sunday afternoon in that rain shower put my raincoat on and went for a 10k run in the rain. That's I brilliant. mean, what, what's wrong with me? Help, somebody uh, help. But it, it's weird because I was at that point where I'm gonna eat something shit or I'm gonna have a beer. Mm. No, if you're gonna abuse yourself, go and run. And, and I kind of that's sort of how I feel at the moment. I'd rather suffer the consequences of a run than the consequences of shitty food or alcohol. Yeah, or a bad, bad decision. Yeah. yeah. we. I think in our home, we sort of come to the same 
place not because we're running or anything but I, I think it's a it's got to do with how you change your mind you know how you how you adapt to new situations for us obviously it, it, it's been much like it's been to you we're getting older and we want to live better not necessarily live longer but when we get to that time period at the end of our rope we it mustn't be that we're all decrepit and we fucking need to be fed and shit like that i you know i've i, I watched my mom um i watched my mother-in-law recently my sister my dad um like i said my dad is gone seven years today and i don't want to go through that process so for us it's also been a change and we, we ended up going to watch cody play soccer it was uncomfortable as hell for for my eldest daughter and my wife because it was cold and but they had a fucking ball but yeah. it's because their mind change has already yeah. happened for them it, it's fine before if i look at it like two years ago they're like no nah, it's fucking cold we don't want to sit yeah. outside yeah, yeah. but we'd sit outside in our backyard and it's cold dude it gets really cold here the beach is less than a kilometer away from where where we are now and you'd have a fire going and you're sitting and you throw a blanket on you talking cuck outside and I kind of like that idea that we that we test in comfortability and we 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 want to do things outside because it awakens us. Yeah. You know? Your story about how your dad came to walk the dog your dad straight out of a out of a a, a guy Richie movie <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming to walk the dag. <laughs> How did you judge him in that in in that moment or in the moment subsequent to that? How did you did you judge him? Did no, no, I judged him hard for that. I I felt betrayed. I felt like he didn't give a shit about me. Mm. Um and I, I before he disappeared in dementia uh when my son was born um just to give myself some sanity outside the house other than 24/7 children um i started to play golf mm. and my dad was an avid golfer and we i played with him every wednesday morning and luckily in that space i got to spend some time with him i i spoke to him about these things and the concerns that i had and some of the things i explained that story to him and he was like shit i don't remember that but what an asshole i'm sorry about that that mm. was as good as i was going to get but he did apologize mm. but i think that again he didn't know how to do it yeah you know he was one of i think five kids um his sister was the youngest but she kind of looked after him um you know the older brothers kind of lived him let him live on his own and i think he kind of let me do the same mm. uh, he never forced anything on me no religion no politics none of those things obviously i do have a few of his biases in me but that's just because i lived with him for 20 odd years mm. um but you know he never forced me to do anything he never forced me into making choices so he gave me freedom of religion he gave me freedom of politics he gave me freedom to do whatever i wanted to when uh, the one time i was sitting at home i was quite bummed <laughs> i had a blue mohican mm. proper big blue mohican and i was like fuck i'm so sick of people picking on me and calling me names and he says go look in the fucking mirror what do you <laughs> think they're picking on and that was kind of his like sort of like dude like 
if you don't want this, don't be this. He said, but you know, and and sort of those kind of things. He was very, very old school in that sort of don't rock the boat, don't be, uh, don't put yourself front and center if you don't want the attention. Mm. Uh, I remember walk, walk quietly and carry yeah, a big stick. Yeah, kind of. Uh, but you know, my, my my father was quite a short gentleman, and he was. He had a very short fuse. I, I was lucky not to get too much of that in my life, but it was um, difficult sometimes to be present in the, some situations that that he wanted us to be in, and I didn't want to be there. Mm. There was a lot of because they were. My folks were young. They partied a lot. We had parties at the house, and I didn't want to do that. Mm. I was young. I didn't understand it, but I just knew it wasn't for me. Um, but they were having a good time, and that was fine. You know, it, it's when the kids are left in the other room to to fend for themselves for the night because the adults are partying. That's cool for a while, mm. but it gets a bit stale after you know two, three, five weeks, yeah. ten weeks, and and I and I didn't dig it. I would have rather have stayed at home, but that wasn't an option I, until I, I was old enough. <laughs> fucking, I I hear you completely. My um, my late mom uh, was uh, very involved with the church, and at some point she became less involved with the church. And you know, we lived in different worlds, but you and I. But it was very much the same thing that happened they, it was also partying and the music's loud and well tonight all I wanted to do was lay on the bed and watch TV I'm not watching TV because there's like strange fucking people coming upstairs to use the toilet all the time and it's not like you can watch TV in any case because the fucking music's so loud yeah. and people are singing and dancing and it was at some point it was very once were warriors kind of environment you yeah. know and um, years later my dad changed uh, and and I get that there was a period that they had to go through that there's a growth that needed to take place that in their earlier years they never went through it so yeah. it had to happen later on um, but there were two things that 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 made me think differently about my dad the first one was when my nephew and my daughter Sudi were very young uh, and they had stayed over at my mom's place and I'm coming early the next morning to come and pick her up and open up the door and my dad is in the kitchen and he's like a mad scientist he's cooking a breakfast that these kids have never had before something that I might have liked when I was a kid and he's gonna try this whole thing out and it's cutting faces in the bread and all this kind of stuff and it's winter, they're coming downstairs, they've got no shoes on, they're jumping around. And my dad's like, what's wrong with you guys? And I'm going through the process of, do I stay with my daughter's mom or do I leave? I've got to make the decision because I need enough time to build a new life where there is stability for my kids. So I need to leave her and then start over while they're young enough so I can find and meet somebody that will help me build stability for them and I didn't know what to do they're jumping around and my dad looks around and my dad says what's wrong with the two of you and they're saying it's cold Bob my feet are cold 
And then he looks at them and he looks at me, he smiles and he says to them, well, you better go and put shoes on. It's simple, isn't it? And I thought to myself, that's really, it's not complicated. It's a simple solution to a simple problem. My problem isn't as simple, but if my feet are cold, I should probably put shoes on. And at the moment in that relationship, I was standing without shoes on, you know, and I got two blocks of ice around my <laughs> around my legs. So that was one thing. The other thing was uh, mere days before he passed. I wanted to grab this moment where I could say to him that I was grateful for everything that he had done. And he was this inspiration to me. He's my hero. And, 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 and. And he had already started his transitioning period, meaning that he would fade away, you'd speak loud enough, and then he would come back momentarily, focus on who you are, and try and come out of that lucid dream that he was in so that he could be in this time, in this reality. And I took the moment. My mom had gone to the toilet. My sister said she's going to go outside. She need to get get a little bit of air. My other sister was working and it was just him and I. And I grabbed his hand and I said, Dad. And he turned and looked at me. He had the mask on his face and I said to him, I want to tell you that I am grateful for everything that you have done. I appreciate you. I love you so much. I could not have had a better life and you were a very, very big part of that. Thank you. And all he did was he took the mask off, he looked at me for maybe a second or two, and then he said, same here. I was happy with it at the time. He then passed on a week later, and for maybe eight, nine months to a year and a half, I was like, fuck, I wish I had more. I wish I had more. And that story kind of reminds me about the story where you said your dad said, I'm sorry, and that's all that, that was the best that you were going were to get. Years later, I realized being the man that my father was and what I had said to him, for him to come back and to say, same here, that was a lot. The generation and the time and the place where he came from, for me to say all of those things and for him to say, same here, that's a lot. And I think from your dad being somebody that you had no connection with, that you wanted to be nothing like, um, yes, you may have said to you, you got fucking blue hair. That's the reason why people are fucking with you. But he also came and he said to you, I, I, I apologize for potentially being an asshole, potentially being an asshole many times in your mm -hmm. life. But you had the opportunity for him to do that. And I think, yes, dementia took him, but you got so much more out of that conversation than just, I'm sorry, I, I, was, I was such an asshole for doing that. Yeah. You know, it could have been, you could have got nothing. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying be, be, be satisfied with what you got. I'm saying for them, the place and the time that they came from, there was volumes. Yeah. You know. Oh, no, they, they really didn't speak much emotion and words. Um, it was more pat on the shoulder, pat on the head. And that was kind of or a, a, a knowing nod, just like that. <laughs> 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 and that is kind of, you know what it's always been the the the, the stoic silent generation late early boomers they were they didn't have that they didn't have emotion they 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 for some reason they were locked in 
you know, we now have the exact opposite where everybody's overflowing with emotion and, mm. and opinion and and somewhere in between would be better if if uh, if we could. Yes, let's <laughs> um, get much. Yeah, it, it, it is a bit, a bit it, it's a bit enough now. Come on. I think you you have to be comfortable with the understanding that our parents had control of very little in their lives, almost nothing. They knew it. Um, you were on that cusp, so you're like a cross between uh, an ex and a boomer. No, I am. I was still. I'm the last final two months of being a boomer. That was yeah, me. <laughs> yeah. Um, me, uh, uh, Gen X. I understand. I was. I come from the original latchkey kids coming home and there's no one at home and throwing your bag against the door because they said they'll be home by the time that you get home and then you be comfortable enough to fucking open up the door yourself and then and cleaning the house where as today you don't get the same thing kids no. don't think the same no. they knew that they had no control over what was going on around them so they 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 built a wall around what they could control and they controlled it absolutely and we had a little bit of optimism um, and I completely blame 80s movies for that because we wanted to be exactly like people were in those times. And yes, we can live like that. And then you realize, well, fuck, it's not really like that. It's a lot harder than what those movies made it out to be. And so we had a little bit of optimism, a little bit more than what they had. But as we get older, we also build walls around what we can control and, and try and control yeah. that absolutely. Um, so not much different no. from what our parents were really. Yeah, but is it is it not the the age that we are, and the age that they were, that that wall building process, is the age related more than the the the, the you know the the of the age, of years, calendar rather than years of living. Um, if we if we are coming out with the same results that they were doing in their 40s and 50s. So are we not just repeating the, pro repeating the problem, repeating the pattern, and should we be pushing to change it? Um, or is the comfortability in this what we need? I think life is always the same. I've said to you many times over that we are in the final stages of failure of our society. Mm. Uh, it's been rolling for a breakdown over the last 40 years already I yeah. mean, uh, financial systems crash and there's lots of stuff that's going on which heralds the the end of that i'm not speaking in apocalyptic terms but i'm saying we can only carry on the way that we're carrying on for so long before the weight of the injustice and the wrongdoing and the greed you know it, it the legs collapse under the weight of all of that. Mm. What is required for our survival will drive us to those reactions. The, they are completely, uh, it's an anthropogenesis which is driven by the world knows what it needs. Yeah. It needs strong men and women. It, it needs people with ideas. Yes, it needs mathematicians to figure out what the size of the fucking chip should be that goes inside your next iPhone. But for how much longer is that needed? How much longer are you going to need a phone for? 
how much longer are you going to, is that going to be the way of communication? But you're always going to need strong people. Yeah. You're always going to need people who are uh, solution-driven rather than the heralders of the problem. I, I found a problem as opposed to, I found a problem, but I fixed it. Yeah. And the way that we are thinking, the way that our parents thought, and maybe their parents before them, was if you walk into a wall enough times, you realize at some point you need to get a fucking helmet or you need to change your route. Yeah. And that is anthropogenesis. It's, 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 it's our reaction to getting kicked in the balls by life so many times. Yeah. Um, and we're getting to that point where I don't know if the current generation is ready for it. No. You know, I, I, I've spoken to 12 people at three different schools, uh, the parents, who have said to me um, they're on their second course of antidepressant drugs. They've not worked a day in their life. Um, most of them have never had a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Um, they haven't had to do anything more difficult than figure out how a phone with a dial tone, a dial ring works, you know, or what a VHS is. So we need tough-minded optimists, mm. you know, and it's not just that generation that we've been so comfortable in just capitulating. Yeah, but is this not why you and I are exploring health and fitness? Because we feel that the world around us is capitulating and we are, we are raging against that, raging go. against that machine. Is, it, is that not why we are stepping forward, why we are saying, I don't want to be a dead weight, I want to be a benefit and, and possibly, maybe, mm. there's a, maybe this is our psychoanalyzing our <laughs> position. <laughs> Look, I, I agree with you, there's that, there's that period where in a military environment, everything is kit. A soldier is kit. Um, a, 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 a soldier who is in good health and strength is a good piece of kit. A good piece of kit you can deploy and work with. You can, you can do something with it. Um, I want to be, I want to be good kit. Yeah. I want to be deployable. I want to be actionable, not in the in 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 the. Um, in the armed forces sense of it, but I want to be beneficial to the solution. I want to be able to go to the places that I've been able to go to for the last 20 years, even if, if, it, if it requires physical effort, I still want to be able to do that for the next 10 years yeah. until I find something else that I want to do. I want to remain challenged. Uh, this podcast, I, I was a musician years ago, but I've never done this before. I haven't, this is almost like radio. Yeah. So I've, ne I've never done this kind of thing before. So I want to be able to do this kind of thing. I, I want to test myself physically because I want to be good kid. And I refuse to be the guy that stands at the braai, knocking his belly and he's like, Ah, uh, you know, I'm getting a little bit chubby in the middle of my waist, putting on a little bit of an extra tire. But that's okay, you know. We're all getting older. Yeah, we no, fuck you, bro. Yeah. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not that guy. Yeah. 
because I see 20 year olds, 22 year olds, 30 year olds who look like that. Yeah. I pulled out a photograph of myself that was a promo poster for Adidas somewhere in the 90s. I was just north of 20 at the time. And I see guys who are the same age now that I was back then who look like 35, 36, mm -hmm. 37. And they can't walk to the car and they bitch and oh. moan because they can't get parking right outside the door and this Wasted. is too heavy to carry and this is and then what? Uh, and they got this the thick gold or the, or the silver chain on and I don't see the silver chain. I only see the black neck from the pre-diabetic <laughs> fucking shit, son. Come on. <laughs> Don't put it in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, and I'm not fat shaming, but if it'll save your life, I'll shame the fuck no, out exactly. of you, bro. Exactly. I'm not shaming you. I just want you to live healthy and, yeah. and, and to live longer. And, yeah. and, you know, for me, part of, the, part of this exploring in the mountains is my relationship with the creator has changed over the last couple of years. I've, I've become a lot more spiritual, a lot more in tune with the essence of the planet mm. um, and, and how it seems to be created mm. for me uh, in my interpretation. I don't mean I own it, but I do to a certain extent. Um, but for me, when I'm in the mountains, I'm reveling in that creation. Mm. I am feeling the wind, feeling the earth beneath me, seeing the sky above me, you know, hearing the birds chirping, hearing the, 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 the wildcats growling. And it's, it's the most intense relationship with nature that we don't generally get much anymore. We are so cosseted in our fake grass gardens and mm. our pot plants that are half of them are fake anyway. And we don't actually have any interaction with nature. And I think that we're losing the, the essence of what the earth gives us by isolating ourselves from it yeah. and if it's raining so what that's just another element that's mm. just another part of the experience if it's cold so what it's just another element of this planet we don't live in a hermetically sealed unit we want to live on the edge we want to live where where it's cold where it's windy and holy crap it is at the moment yeah yeah <laughs> and wet very wet but the thing is that that's that like i don't want to go outside it's raining why mm. what's wrong with rain what do you not have a jacket do you not have something that can keep you warm in the process let's go enjoy this mm. the newton's forest uh celia forest um on this aspect of the mountain uh, southern suburbs side of the mountain in the rain it's almost like you're indoors and the, the, it's, it's sprinkling and it's pissing with rain mm. but in the forest it's not it's just like this gentle rain because the, the rain's running down the trees and most of it is not getting to you yeah you've just got this almost gentle like almost mist of a rain and it's the most amazing revelation in the fact that there seems to be a hand that's guided this creation yeah and and i'm loving that and, and it really has made me much more in tune with my presence on the planet i'm trying to have a less of a big footprint mm. i'm trying to do all the things that we've been told to do um but for me that is much more than you know shouting about recycling and shouting about global warming and shouting about that experience 
makes you want to make sure this planet lasts.